Welcome to Sing Second Sports. We are uh, on pod number two. Many thanks again to Billy Hurley and Coach Karen Gabera joining us last time. Uh, we're back. I am John Schofield. Joining me on the podcast are Ward Carroll and Bill Wagner. Ward Carroll, class of 82, fantastic golfer, sandbagger, <laughs> uh, former Naval Academy instructor, F-14 Rio and currently at the U.S. Naval Institute, and Bill Wagner, 30-plus years at the Capitol Gazette, sports writer, historian, and Annapolitan, a, a great man who knows sports inside and out, not only at the Naval Academy, but in Annapolis. Today, on uh, this episode of Sing Second Sports, we're going to be joined by uh, Kelly Larkin, uh, senior, soon to be Ensign Kelly Larkin of the uh, Naval Academy women's cross team, Malcolm Perry, soon to be ensign or graduate Malcolm Perry, uh, possibly a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps or a, um, you know, slot back or wide receiver or running back or anything for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, we're going to talk to him about what it was like to be drafted last week. And then we're going to talk to Captain Mike Riggins, class of 94, former football player at the U.S. Naval Academy and my former office mate when we were lieutenants in Moose Hall. We start every pod with kind of a look in the uh, in the rearview mirror, what we observed. Typically, we would talk about the results that took place in Naval Academy sports, but since we're still in the throes of COVID, there are none. Uh, but I'll kick it to uh, Warden Wags. Uh, what's been going on on your radar, uh, and how have you guys been doing? In terms of signs of normalcy in this COVID-19 world, is the driving range at the Naval Academy is open again. So I went to the range today and hit a large bucket of balls. Um, so, uh, you know, it's just, it's great to be out in the outdoors. And, uh, you know, some of the gang was there, the Mike Cumberpatches and some other folks were there just uh, social distancing and saying hi. So that means a lot when you haven't had it. Uh, so we talked with Billy about the course renovation and some other things. I'm, I'm very happy that Governor Hogan made golf available again. And in the case of Navy golf, the course is closed until late July, as we talked about last week, but the driving range and the practice area is open, so I'm a happy boy. In my world, you know, we've been being very creative, innovative, trying to come up with stories to fill the sports section, and many of them have to do with coronavirus and finding some sort of unique angle and how that applies to athletics. So I'm always very happy when I get a real meaty, actual, legit news story and that came last week with the hiring of a new Navy women's basketball coach Tom Taylor and I had an hour-long discussion with coach Taylor he seems like a great guy he uh, had been an assistant coach at the University of Virginia originally under a Hall of Fame head coach and Debbie Ryan then he was an assistant coach most recently at North Carolina he is a very well respected individual and Chuck Gladchuck and speaking to him, and I, I was surprised, 85 applications for the Navy women's basketball position. And uh, Chet said that Tim Taylor's, uh, uh, his uh, resume just jumped out at him, and he put together a really impressive presentation of who he is as a coach, what he would do with the Navy program, and just... He, I, I only had an hour-long discussion with him, but I came away extremely impressed. I think people are going to like him. He's very, very outgoing, very personable person. Uh, I think he's going to run a top-notch program. I'm really looking forward. So we now have two new coaches that I've yet to meet in person because of COVID. Kerry Colat, the new wrestling coach, who uh, we on another pod can maybe get Kerry on here, but I can tell you that one thing. Kerry Colat is a just a big-time famous name in the world of wrestling, his name recognition alone is going to bring top-notch recruits into the Navy wrestling program and now Coach Taylor. So I'm looking forward to the day I can actually meet these new head coaches. It's obviously a unique time and that we're talking about that, uh, right? As we should be talking about commissioning week and we've talked just a little bit about it, but uh, the, the commissioning week has been officially canceled. Uh, Naval Academy Midshipmen has 
Uh, I'm sure Kelly Larkin and, and Malcolm Perry will tell us have just finished up their uh, final exams. They had to take them from home virtually, so a very unique time. Um, and and I think the the best word to use is is a disappointment. And I'm and I'm sort of plagiarizing there from uh, Spencer McVeigh, uh, who wrote in in your uh, newspaper wags in the Capital Gazette. She wrote just an unbelievable uh, op-ed to my Naval Academy classmates. We will feel this forever. Uh, I would encourage our listeners, uh, alumni and, and current students to read Spencer's guest column about what it was like to end your first year, your career at the Naval Academy from home instead of on campus. I'd, I'd be interested in your thoughts on it. Very poignant. Uh, and we got a ton of reaction and I happened to see the page views for stories and it was highly read. I'm sure every, practically every midshipman at the Naval Academy read it, most certainly all the seniors. Very, very poignant piece. And I feel for the seniors. And I mean, the, the commissioning week is a special as part of your entire career and to not have it is a void. And she's right. You'll never be able to fill that void. Um, Ward, you weren't one of those people that were renting your house to the uh, parents of Navy Firsties, they were then didn't refund ten thousand dollars worth of money. That's <laughs> no, like, no, I'm not one of those guys. Um, <laughs> and and up and down my street because I live just south of the stadium, so a lot of my neighbors uh, were involved in renting their houses out. I do not know where they. I haven't pulled the the street to figure out um, where they stand in terms of their attitude towards giving the money back. Um, but yeah, you bring up an interesting sort of again. This is uncharted waters with all of those little things that we do this time of year around uh, the DTA, you know? And, and so um, as you mentioned, the op-ed was, was poignant, doesn't begin to describe it uh, as a guy who can't imagine my commissioning week not happening. Um, and I'm sure as, as John said, we'll hear this from Kelly um, that, you know, the, 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 the disappointment is, uh, is uh, you know, palpable and and uh but what we know about mids is they're resilient and they're upbeat and they'll make the best of it and they'll press on so that's the that breaks my heart even more you know that they're not going to have their their commissioning week but what can we do right yeah i mean if anyone's going to adapt and overcome it's going to be the the women and men of the class of 2020 and and, and the naval academy Ward wags uh as i appreciated last week i appreciate it this week thanks for Thanks for being here. Uh, we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we'll talk to Kelly Larkin of the women's cross team. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. All right, and we're back. Our uh, first guest um, on this week's pod is midshipman Kelly Larkin, soon to be Ensign Kelly Larkin. Kelly played lacrosse at the U.S. Naval Academy and obviously was one of the many athletes who lost their seasons uh, due to the COVID epidemic. So Kelly, uh, many thanks for joining us. How's everything going? Everything's doing great, you know, just hanging out. Um, calling from home in Alexandria, uh, where I've been spending the last few months with my family, just hanging out, finishing school there, and um, you know, doing doing what I can. Kelly, walk us through how this unfolded during second semester. Um, as John just mentioned off air, you were six games into the season. How did this unfold, both as a student athlete and also as a first class midshipman? I remember the days leading up to spring break. We were a couple days away, um, and all of this Corona stuff kind of started to unfold. Um, and I remember a couple of days before we were supposed to leave, everyone was going separate ways for spring break. We had a brief with the whole brigade, um, just addressing the pandemic, kind of what was going on protocol, what we might see. And at that point it was kind of just like, we're going to go home. Everyone's going to go on spring break and we'll be back in a week and everything will be normal. At that point in time, you know, we really had no idea what was about to come. So um, we go into spring break and just normal. We head down to University of Florida. We have our game against them. Tough loss. We come back. The following day, we have another practice, another 
just, yeah, we're getting back into it. We have um, Bucknell coming up in just a couple days. I remember during practice, our coaches, I could kind of see that something was going on. You know, we had heard just the previous day that the Ivy League had just canceled their season. So we kind of had an idea that something funny was going on, but we still went through the whole practice like normal, um, thinking, you know, that we were going to go up and watch film after and then the following day get on the bus to head over to Bucknell. Um, and that's when we found out uh, when we were about to start film that the Patriot League had canceled our season and that we weren't going to be coming back after spring break. So that was kind of in a nutshell what had happened, how everything just kind of in a matter of days went from, you know, thinking that the rest of our semester was going to be normal to everything was now up in the air. So it was a crazy, crazy week to say the least. How did your teammates handle that, Kelly? I mean, you're you're a four-year you know, star of the team, you're a leader, uh, both in the hall and on the field. Um, you know, how, how did some of your other teammates handle this, particularly the, the plebes and some of the underclassmen? Have, have you been in communication with them? What, what, what's been the, the op-tempo between you and the coaches and the other players and trying to, trying to assuage the fears or at least the irritations of your teammates that they lost an entire season? I remember just during practice, kind of when we picked up something funny was going on, like I said, coaches were kind of in a huddle talking. We could see the men's team staff um, also at the stadium. And I think that right then and there, emotions started started really running. Girls were kind of panicking. And I think that we kind of knew that something was up then. And um, then when they eventually did break the news to us, I think that a lot of the underclassmen were kind of looking to the seniors. And um, we were – in, in a sense, just trying to put on a good face for them, you know, and I think that something that really helped them through is just knowing that it wasn't the last opportunity for them, that they were going to get at least another season to come back and play, you know, whereas us seniors, we weren't going to have that opportunity. Um, so that was definitely hard. And it was nice that we got to kind of figure it all out and find out together. Um, and then obviously, we went our separate ways in the following few days and since then we've had a couple different team calls we do zoom once a week where we get together and just talk strategy and you know talk about you know what we what we're missing what's also going on in each other's lives and just trying to stay up to date so that's been really fun being able to at least do that is still for the last couple months feeling like we're still part of a team just without the games and the practices so it's been great to be able to do that and then aside from that lacrosse also you know, the girls on the team are some of my closest friends. We still talk on a daily basis, even though I haven't been able to see them in a couple months. Yeah, you were playing on the highest level, Kelly. I mean, you know, you started the season against number eight, Virginia, lost an OT, played a very, very good, perennially good Maryland team on March 4th, uh, lost mm -hmm. 16 to 7. And you mentioned the uh, road trip to Florida. Um, you know, for, for you personally, what were your goals this season? You know, what, what did you have in mind, Patriot League, NCAA tournament, and then how did you have to readjust your focus um, after the season was canceled to focus on final exams, which I presume you just finished up in the last couple of days, and then, you know, training your eyes to uh, flight school? It, it was definitely hard because for me personally, I think that just a, per a goal – um, for myself was just, you know, to get better every year. There's always room to improve. And so my personal goal was um, to just try to build on what I had accomplished the previous year as an individual player and also as a team player. Um, so just trying to take it to the next level every year. And one of the really hard things about this season is that I think that we were really just getting started. You know, we, we were having not, not the strongest start. And I think in a lot of cases, I've personally found myself um, as a strong finisher, and I think that that was kind of a characteristic that I really saw in our team is that, you know, we, we hit a couple of bumps um, on the start of the road, but it's just really unfortunate that usually, you know, you play through the bumps and you work it out and you finally hit your stride, hopefully at the right time. And that was something that I was predicting for our team to do. You know, I knew that we weren't going to have a perfect season, and Things were not always going to go our way, but what mattered most was hitting our stride at the right time. And unfortunately, we were never able to do that. So we started the season and, you know, we, who, would have, who knows, you know, what we would have ended up accomplishing or where we could have taken ourselves. But I think that our team had a lot of potential. We had a group of really hardworking girls and that was something that 
I really saw forthcoming that was going to be super strong for us going into tournament weekend. Like I know this past weekend was the Patriot League championship or would have been and just seeing flashbacks from the last couple seasons of our success. It, it was really tough just getting through final exams. I guess it's just channeling my energy from one place to another. Is It's still something that I have to get done despite what has been going on in the last couple months. So I try to get out every couple of days and um, pass lacrosse ball around with my siblings, but it's also, you know, getting exams done. And I just finished my last exam yesterday, which was super exciting to have finally completed my whole curriculum at the academy, which I honestly never thought would actually happen. So, what's your what's your major? Political science. Best ever, man. You and I are yes, like soulmates. You went. You're going in a flow. I was probably all of us. Like, I think that these are four political yeah. science majors on this pod right now. I think. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I showed up thinking I might be a naval architect, and then I validated two semesters of French. And they were like, you're not going to be a naval architect. <laughs> but I enjoyed I poli sci. Yeah. I very much enjoyed it. I did too. It was it an was awesome experience and definitely struggled in other categories um, while I was at Navy. So, you know, math and science wasn't always my strong suit. <laughs> so so how, what was the, Kelly, what was the distance learning experience like? I, I can't even process it. How, how, what was the quality of that? Were you able to stay focused? Um, I've heard mixed things from instructors in terms of their attitudes towards the, uh, the distance learning. How, how, what was your experience? It was interesting. I could have never expected to ever do that. And I, I know that at the academy, they've never done anything like it. So it was definitely a learning experience for everyone. Um, I, I, one thing I did like about it is I really enjoyed the flexibility of it. So some of my classes met asynchronously, uh, meaning that I just had to get my lectures done at some point in the day. And as long as I had my assignments turned in and everything, I was good to go. Um, whereas a couple of my classes met, we all met at the same time every day, just like a Zoom like this. Definitely a weird adjustment at first. Um, I think overall, I would have rather been in school because <laughs> I think that this required a little bit more um, work, just kind of out outside stuff that I had to get done. Whereas sometimes sitting in class is nice to just sit and let someone talk to you and let them teach you. Whereas in this type of learning, we were kind of teaching ourselves. So, um, and I, and of course I would have loved to be in Annapolis with my friends, especially in last semester of, of my school career. I know as you guys can attest, second semester senior year is the best one in Annapolis and at the Academy. So um, I'll, I'll ask you two questions, uh, Kelly, and, and one's at the, you know, the beginning of your Naval Academy career and, and one is at the end of it. So you're, you're kind of a local, you went to Ireton, um, you know, you're from Alexandria. Did you always yeah. want to go to the Naval Academy? Was that always the focus? Because at the time of, of your arrival at the Naval Academy, the, the women's program was still relatively young. Now, now Coach Temchel is a known commodity, a, a great coach, but was that something you always wanted to do or did it just kind of walk me through how you became a Naval Academy midshipman? I knew first thing, obviously, that I wanted to continue my lacrosse career into college and I wanted to play Division One. That was kind of the goal. One of the reasons why I went to Ireton was because it's one of the best programs in the country. And I knew that that was going to be where I was able to really develop my skills as a player. Um, then second, like I said, I'm from Alexandria, Virginia. Um, I have had a lot of family, friends and neighbors growing up that um, went to the Academy, work at the Pentagon, do stuff like that. I guess there's just kind of a hub for, you know, a lot of families in my area. I made a lot of connections like that. Um, so I remember as a kid going to a couple of Navy football games with a family friend. Um, but Navy had never really kind of crossed my radar until one of the coaches saw me play at a tournament. And that's kind of when the communication started. And I remember coming home and getting a call from my club coach saying that Navy wanted to offer me and just walking into my kitchen and telling my parents that and just the, the joy and pride that they exuded. Um, it kind of just, in a sense, it made it seem like, you know, there wasn't any, really any other right way to go just to see how, how proud and how supportive they, my parents were of this opportunity and this decision. Um, I just thought it was really cool, you know, to have an opportunity like this. And 
I went to visit. Luckily, I was only 45, 50 minutes away from the academy, got to see the campus and walking around the campus, you're like, this is beautiful. So that was one thing too, that really drew me to the school. And I think that it was hard because like you said, the lacrosse program wasn't one of the more developed in the country. And while maybe, you know, I could have taken my skills somewhere else. Um, I, I kind of had to look past that. And in a sense, it was like, I'm getting lacrosse, but I'm also getting so much more than that. You know, I'm getting an opportunity really that I couldn't pass up and just this type of education, a secure job and really everything that came along with the academy was kind of just like, I knew that it was the best option and opportunity for me and something that I had to pursue. And um, I always, I talk to my mom about this all the time. It's so funny. I remember um, freshman year, our first away game, we played at Duke and we got crushed. And I remember just being so defeated coming from high school where we were state and conference championships, pretty, champions pretty much every year. And I was like, I hate losing. Like, I, I don't want to lose. So coming off of that Duke, I was just like, man, like, did I make the wrong decision? You know, like, I'm super upset about it. And then come to find out it was going to be the best season that the Naval Academy women's lacrosse team had ever had in history. We went to the final four that last year. And so to say the least, like, we definitely made up for it that year. Um, and since then, it's just been a super rewarding experience. And I really, since that game, I haven't really doubted my decision at all. So. Yeah, you've been a great part of the program. And so now I'll, I'll talk about what happens afterwards. There's been a lot said about, you know, that there's no more commissioning week, no more plebes climbing Herndon, no more, you know, there aren't the soups garden parties for you and your parents. And, and most importantly, there isn't the big commissioning ceremony with the Blue Angels flying over. So there's been a little bit of information about how they're going to do graduation, like phased graduations. Have you found out um, what your exact graduation date and logistics, uh, you know, what those are. And then if you could tell our listeners, you know, where you're headed next and when you're headed there uh, to start your naval career, that'd be great. Yeah. First word that we had gotten, we kind of knew um, that we weren't going to be able to have the typical graduation commissioning week that we had really been looking forward to. So um, we knew that that was kind of out of um, the realm of possibilities. Um, but what the school has decided for us in the last couple of weeks is that, um, we are going to have a commissioning ceremony and what they're going to do is we're, we got split up into groups of about 200 firsties, um, eight, eight firsties per company for 30 companies. And we're having just a small commissioning ceremony with just the 200 people in Tecumseh Court, um, closed to visitors. It's just going to be us mids um, s celebrating our commissioning together. So um, the first wave starts on the 12th is going to be the first ceremony. And I'm going to be coming back to Annapolis on the 13th and 14th. On the 13th of May, I'll be moving out of our rooms because our stuff is still in all of our rooms. We haven't moved out yet. Um, kind of getting through all of the paperwork and everything that goes into commissioning. Um, that'll happen on the 13th. And then on the 14th, next Thursday, will be our 200-person close-to-visitor commissioning ceremony. And that's the date that I was selected to do that. Um, and luckily, all the other seniors on the team, we all worked our way in, into getting the same date. So we'll at least all be together um, in the mix of the 200 mids that are there as well. So we'll have that. Um, and then we still have the virtual graduation ceremony that will take place on May 22nd. And I think that they're planning on doing some type of virtual flyover and trying to make it as, you know, as special and as memorable as, as possible um, given the circumstances. So that's kind of what's going on in the next couple of weeks for commissioning and graduation. And then following that, um, I serve a selected Naval flight officer and I will be heading down to Pensacola on July 31st where I'll start flight school. Well, Kelly, your, your tone here is just, it does our hearts good. Um, you were dealt a bad hand like the entire class of 20, um, and your resilience and your attitude is just incredible. Thanks for that. Congratulations on graduating. Congratulations on your service selection. Whatever you get, you're going to like it, but the right answer is Super Hornets, as we were saying before. Um, carrier aviation is the way to go. But what I will say, my advice, because I was kind of a 2.7 kind of guy here as a poli-sci major, um, hit Same the here. ground running. Hit the ground running down there. Right from, from API yeah. or AI, uh, from the very – every grade matters in terms of getting what you want. Mm -hmm. 
um, and it's hyper competitive. The good news is everything you're studying, you're going to want to know everything about because it's what you're going to do. Um, you know, whether it's yeah. on the airplane or me talk stuff or, um, you know, how to write a, an, a, a flight plan, um, navigation, all that stuff, you'll just tear it up. So I'm excited for you. I used to hate it when I was your age and old guys would go, I wish I was you, but I really do wish I was you. Um, so, you know, <laughs> good luck. I, I hope uh, we see you, you in person before too long and, uh, and fly safe. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to, you know, what's next. Our um, aviation exam for our practicum class that I took a couple of days ago was actually on the NATOPS. So it was an open book exam. So I got a little taste of looking through the 500 something page book. And um, I'm just excited to get down to flight school. And I'm sure you guys can attest to playing a sport, you kind of learn to just become an expert at one thing and channeling your energy towards it. So um, I'm just looking forward to be able to do that with something new in life. And um, I'm excited for the opportunity and what's to come. Kelly, uh, I'll tell you what, it, it, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the pod. And I'm telling you that, that we started this pod as a means of communicating to the alumni out there and, and current midshipmen and everyone who follows Naval Academy Sports that sports is kind of a microcosm of what you see out there in life. And, and at first you don't succeed, you try and try again. You, you mentioned the, yes. the Duke game at the beginning of your career. Uh, it must have felt unbelievably great to uh, finish your senior year, albeit you know, abbreviated with a 16-15 victory over Duke, where you scored five goals. Um, and, you know, my dad, who played lacrosse at Maryland, used to say that if, uh, if North Carolina and Duke played against each other in, lac in lacrosse and they both lost, then he would go back to church. Um, so <laughs> I applaud you. I applaud you for beating Duke. And, and I applaud you for being such a stand-up professional and uh, and a great representative of the U.S. Naval Academy. We here at Sing Second Sports wish you the very best of luck um, at your commissioning ceremony and, and when you arrive down in Pensacola. So thank you for joining us and good luck in the future. Thank you guys so much. It's been a pleasure and an honor to get to talk to you guys. Thanks, Kelly. Be well. Thanks, thank Kelly. Thank you guys. See ya. All right. That was Kelly Larkin. And when we come back from this break, we're going to talk to Malcolm Perry. You are listening to Sing Second Sports. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, please shoot us a DM at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. There are a number of national and local sponsorships still available. Now back to the pod. All right, and we're back on Sing Second Sports. Uh, we are uh, incredibly honored to be uh, joined by Malcolm Perry, a member of the class of 2020 at the U.S. Naval Academy, quarterback of the football team, and, and recently drafted by the Miami Dolphins, highlighting the greatness uh, that is Navy, that these are men and women of character and consequence. They are good athletes, they are good students, and they are good people, and Malcolm is certainly one of all of those Malcolm, thank you so much for joining us on Sing Second Sports. How are you doing? I'm good. I appreciate you having me. Can't complain too much. Just finished up with school, so um, everything's going good. Awesome. I'll ask the first question, and I'm going to throw it to Bill Wagner, who I know has a bunch for you. So, yeah, walk me through. How were how how finals? Did you finish up yesterday, the day before? And, and have they given you the date yet of your... 200 person graduation uh, day. What did the next couple of weeks look like for you in terms of that? Uh, so um, just finished up with finals um, yesterday. Finished up with a, with a final paper. Finals went well, just like everybody else's online. You know, I'm just happy it's over. It was, it was pretty tough. It was a pretty tough finals for me. Probably my hardest one with being at home and managing all the distractions and stuff like that, along with um, the whole draft process. I'm glad it's over. I think I finished strong. And looking forward to getting on with the next chapter. Well, so Malcolm, speaking of the next chapter, why don't you kind of tell us what has happened since you were drafted? I guess, first of all, you have an agent who I spoke with prior to the draft and then briefly afterward, and he's obviously going to work on a contract for you. I, I Let's start there. Have you signed a contract with the Dolphins? Um, I have not. Everything is, is still uh, under works as far as that goes with the military side of things and uh, the NFL side of things. So um, everything's still um, being considered. Uh, nothing's been signed yet. So I'm still waiting on word from there. 
Uh, as of right now, I'm just I'm doing what I can to be prepared for. Um, hopefully, I get to get to go down to Miami. And so I guess what you're saying is that the whole process that you have to apply for this waiver, the sports waiver, to the Department of Defense, you're kind of in that process is what you're saying? Uh, yes, sir. So um, it's out of my hands at this point. Just waiting on the word. Uh, and that's pretty much where I'm at. Now, normally, my experience is that in normal times, there would have been a rookie free agent minicamp almost immediately after the draft. That could not be done. Uh, so at this point, I guess the Dolphins can't even give you a date of when they want you to report. Right. Um, so um, the, the rookie minicamp was sort of virtual this year. So um, kind of just like classes were going, we kind of got in the classroom a little bit on the football side of things. and uh, In a way, um, I was talking to Keenan, and he said um, during his process, he, he was – unfortunately, he missed the rookie minicamp due to having to be at school and um, all those obligations. So um, he was kind of behind from the jump. So with everybody being at home and, it, and being virtual, I was kind of able to not fall behind on the ball and um, kind of be on the same playing field as everyone so I think one thing that was interesting was when Miami posted to their Twitter feed or social media feeds that you had been drafted and they put your picture up there, you know, seventh round draft pick from the Naval Academy. It listed running back, RB. Um, obviously, we know that you went to the NFL Combine as a slot receiver when you were at the East West Shrine game. You practiced at slot receiver. Um, have you had any conversations with the decision makers with the Dolphins? about why they chose to list you RB, and I guess uh, your thoughts on that, I guess the kind of maybe what they're saying is they're looking at you as like a third down type back, like a Darren Sproles maybe. Um, yeah, so, so far, um, to my knowledge, I'll be starting off in the, in the wide receiver room. Um, I'm, like I always said, I'm totally willing to, to go anywhere, play anywhere. Um, so whatever they have planned for me, uh, I'm all on board with it, but as of right now, I'm starting off in the wide receiver. All right, I'm going to throw it to the other guys for some questions. Maybe John or Ward has something they'd like to ask. Yeah, hey, Malcolm. Um, so think back to Army Week when you and I were talking on the other podcast that I'm part of, um, and I'd ask you um, what you knew about the potential to be drafted. And at that time, you, you know, you, you didn't know anything, right? And you were focused on Army. Um, can you walk us through kind of how things evolved from that point um, including when you, you know, realize you're going to go to the combine there. I mean, how, how did you, did you work through NAAA? Did you work through coach? How do you get an agent? I mean, I'm just thinking of like Jerry Maguire kind of thing. Um, how, how did that all come together? So basically what happened since the last time you and I talked uh, at Army Week? It's hard to remember. A lot of stuff got thrown at me all at once. Um, and that's pretty much uh, I think the way I approached the season was I'm going to focus on everything uh, that has to do with after the season, after the season. So uh, I was focused on the Army. I was focused on the bowl game. And then right after that, everything hit me at once. So um, the agent process, the knowing I'm going to the East-West game, the combine, all that kind of kind of hit me all at once and kind of put myself, put myself behind the ball in terms of uh, being prepared for everything. But everything turned out. Um, pretty well, so um, can't complain too much. But so getting the agent, the East West game, and the combine, I kind of didn't felt like I didn't have time to think um, throughout the whole process and was trying to heal up from the season and stuff like that. So uh, after all that was done, I was able to find a routine and um, get with the trainer. I've been training with him ever since, and then everything happened with uh, Corona, and I'm back at home now. So kind of got my whole routine at home, a workout routine stuff like that so it was a pretty busy process so we had talked about how you struck balance as you know high visibility quarterback um and being a mid it must have been next level when all of this hits you in terms of keeping perspective and being a company mate and all that sort of thing how, how did you manage that um i'd say i, I pretty much kept it the same as um the foot kept football football kept being a company mate company mate being a midshipman um, just balancing just how I always did. Uh, uh, I'd say being at home and being away from everybody uh, probably made it a lot easier because, um, you know, you're at home by yourself. You're able to 
do your own thing kind of in a sense and uh, do what's comfortable for you when you're trying to get everything done. But I'd say towards the end, it was getting pretty hard with uh, the rookie minicamp and trying to get in your playbook and stuff like that. And then you got to fill out a tracker or something like that for something going on in the hall. It, it, was, it, was, it was getting pretty tough um, towards the end there. But now that I'm done with all the academics, it's, it's a lot easier. Uh, the load's a lot lighter. So I'm able to focus on, um, you know, getting, getting what I need to get done in the football realm and then staying on top of what I need to do. So, Malcolm, I was a little bit surprised that, you know, your, your story is much ballyhooed, you know, the getting pulled out of the stands to get dressed and start the second half of the game, your plebe year. I talked to a lot of athletes who say they didn't show up their plebe year ready for the NFL. Noah Song didn't show up to the Naval Academy baseball team ready to be a major league baseball player. It was because of the leadership they received in the hall. It's because of the great coaching they got. Um, from Coach Costi in baseball or Nehemiah on the football field. Can you talk about the influences you had both on the football field and in the hall that kind of got you from 2016 to 2020? Um, yeah, for sure. So just like everyone else was saying, definitely didn't show up at the Naval Academy expecting a career in football at all. Um, I was more worried about um, making sure I was on top of my academics and making sure I was not getting in trouble in the hall staying out of trouble in there and then um, doing what I had to uh, on the field. Um, so um, I would say that, that, that held true throughout most of my career, even up to my senior year. Um, didn't think that it was possible for me, but um, luckily I got the chance, of course, and super grateful for that. But uh, I'd say definitely um, on the football side of things, Coach Nehemiah, I'd say really the whole offensive uh, coaching staff, was huge in, in developing me as a person. Um, everybody had their own individual way of affecting me. I said, Coach Nehemiah, just the way he, he's so organized and his attention to detail and um, just stuff like that just makes me want to strive to, to have the same quality. So, um, and then Coach Jasper with um, just being human and, um, you know, having life problems, but always looking out for, for the people that, you, that you're leading and, and stuff like that. It's just, just being being who you are, but being able to lead people. Um, um, and then in the hall, uh, you know, I've had two different company officers who were polar opposites. So just being able to see how they led on the military side of things and taking away the things that I like and, and trying, trying to put that in perspective for how I lead um, and, and use that in the future. So there's definitely a lot, a lot of opportunities to, to learn. Uh, and I think, that's the, that's the biggest thing about the academy is, um, you know, you're going to go there, you're going to fail, but uh, how are you going to respond to it? So I think that's my biggest lesson. Malcolm, you, you were you were service selected to uh, U.S. Marine Corps, um, you know, and obviously, you know, a, a fantastic athlete and a fantastic midshipman. You know, that, that being said, not a whole lot of dudes showing up to, you know, Miami Dolphins camp uh, having just majored in quantitative economics in uh, – in college, um, what would you say before I kick it back to Bill? What would you say is your biggest fear, um, if you have one, about showing up um, in the NFL? Because I, I tend to think that the Naval Academy and being in the Navy in general kind of washes you of that apprehension. It throws you into the fire. You get that message to Garcia, like I've got a job to do, and and, uh, you know, there's nothing else to talk about. What would you say your biggest fear is? My biggest fear is disappointing my family, allowing to bring a negative light on my, on my family. And I think that's the same, the same whether I'm going to the NFL, the Marine Corps, or even going into the Naval Academy at first. So I think that's my biggest fear. I think, um, like you were saying, at the Naval Academy, there's not, there's not a lot of time for you to, to be on your own and go out and, you know, not have that much guidance. So I think that's not something I'll necessarily have to worry about, but that's probably going to be the biggest, the biggest challenge for me off the field is not having somebody over my head, uh, worry about what I'm doing all the time and making sure I'm doing the right thing. But I think I, I should be fine in that, in that department. So, How about on the field? So, I, you know, I've, I've seen you at close range take, take hits um, and bounce right back. This is going to be next level kind of stuff. Uh, you saw some of this at the combine. Um, how are you feeling going into that that uh, challenge? 
we got to actually talk to a couple of players who um, finished up their, their rookie year. And everybody always says they're, they're always bigger, stronger, faster, which is, which is a given. And that's not something I'm necessarily worried about. But I think what I took from the rookies we got to talk to is knowing your playbook and knowing what you're doing slows the game down a lot. So that's probably the biggest challenge for me. And what I'll be trying to stay on top of is uh, making sure I know what I'm doing. So everything's not flying around 100 miles per hour. And I think that goes for anything you're doing. Definitely something, you know, I've thought about, but not necessarily too concerned with with the size. Well, you you mentioned Keenan earlier that you'd been in comms with him. Has he given you any sort of uh, mentoring and and gouge going forward for for what what you might do uh, in the next couple of months? Yeah, for sure. He's he's been more than more than helpful for me. Um, been really active in trying to give me tips and pointers and, and whatever he can do. Um, sometimes he'll he'll send me a text message or something at like twelve o'clock in the morning with some some highlight tape, trying to give me some pointers or something like that. So he's been really big and. Um, trying to make sure I'm, I'm well prepared going into that. Hey, Malcolm, obviously Keenan Reynolds tried to make the switch from option quarterback to slot receiver. Now you're a little bit different because you also played slot back at Navy and you, uh, you trained and practiced in a different mode than Keenan ever did. He was always a quarterback. But, you know, Keenan did not make the NFL, although he, he got into an NFL game. He was on practice squad, so he was right there on the cusp. Um, now Keenan's with the XFL. Well, before this all COVID started, he was uh, having a good season with the XFL. Seattle Dragons caught a nice long touchdown pass. It was pretty sweet. Um, but is there any pressure that, you know, if you you need to make it so that these future Navy quarterbacks who are so outstanding, like Keenan Reynolds, like Malcolm Perry, get a look? Because I worry that if you don't succeed. The NFL says, hey, I don't know, these great Navy quarterbacks, they just can't convert. And is there ever a day when a Navy quarterback will get a chance to actually play quarterback in the NFL? I don't like to think about, you know, all the what ifs and stuff like that. Just try to try to be the same person I am in all situations. I always want to be the best I can be. And hopefully that's good enough. And if it's not, and I know that, you know, I didn't make it and I knew that I gave it my best and I'll be, I'll be all right with that. But Definitely just going out there and try to try to give my best. And right. It works. You didn't want to talk about this much during the season when I did interviews with you, but when you look back upon this most amazing season that you had, which then turned into a most amazing career, and you are all over the Navy record book, your name is in there with the Keenan Reynolds of the world, the Napoleon McCallums. You know, you set the football bowl subdivision record for most rushing yards by a quarterback, which is an amazing mark. Uh, set the Navy single-season rushing record, breaking the, the one that Nat McCallum held since 1983, I want to say. So have you started to think about your place in Navy history? Because years from now, they're going to be talking about Malcolm Perry as an all-time Navy football great. Uh, I still haven't. I still haven't. I don't think I've had the, had the time to. Um, like I said, since the season's been over, um, it's been next event after next event. So. Um, I, I, like I said, it's definitely an honor. Um, it's pretty cool to think about, but it really ha- just hasn't set in for me um, for that to be the case. But uh, definitely, definitely an honor. Well, uh, Malcolm, I'll wrap it up. Um, I, I really appreciate your time. Um, you know, it, it, particularly right as you've wrapped up finals and you've got a lot on your plate. But um, the Naval Academy and the Navy uh, writ large is pretty good and in instilling that mantra in people of ship, shipmate, self, mission teammates and then the needs of the individual um and and you know right after the football season you you lost one of your teammates one of your shipmates and Dave Forney as we close out I I wanted to get your thoughts on on that kind of heartbreaking event um all of us are hurting at Dave's loss uh how are you doing and and how did his loss affect you that was it was definitely definitely hard for for myself and the entire team but it it was uh yeah it was hard Uh, it definitely came out of nowhere. He was always such a strong guy, such a emotional leader and stuff like that. So um, just imagine, imagine him not being himself. It was definitely hard for, for the team. And a guy that was trying to pursue the same career that I was trying to pursue. So we had a lot of, a lot of talks about making this happen and stuff. So it was hard on me, but 
I can't imagine the pain that the family's going through. So that's what I think about the most is just what they're going through now and just praying for them. Well, we, we know that you'll make uh, him proud and, and his family proud and all of your teammates proud as you go forward and whatever you do, uh, Malcolm, be it in the Marine Corps um, or in the NFL. And, and I know that all of us here and, and all your classmates and teammates are, are rooting for that day that, that we can kind of see you in that Taysom Hill role uh, wearing the number 10 for the Miami Dolphins in South Beach and, and uh, chasing your dream because I know that you're not only going to make uh, the NFL a better uh, organization, but you'll continue to make uh, the Naval Academy um, a great place and a great example, uh, which should attract uh, the nation's best athletes. So Malcolm Perry, I uh, really appreciate you uh, appearing on uh, Sync Second Sports um, on our podcast tonight. We wish you uh, good luck. Um, congrats on your impending graduation. And thank you again for being here. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Thanks, right. Malcolm. When we return, we're going to go from the present of Naval Academy football and Malcolm Perry to the past uh, and talk to Captain Mike Riggins, great defensive back from his day back in the 90s at the U.S. Naval Academy, an old office mate of mine when we taught in Loose Hall. Stick with us. We'll be right back on Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. And we're back on Sing Second Sports. Great segment right there with Malcolm Perry. And now we're honored to be joined by one of the faces of Navy football's past, Captain Mike Riggins. Mike, not only a friend of mine, but, but also a former member of the Naval Academy football team, played in the early 90s, and now has gone out into the fleet first as a surface warfare officer, and now in, in the information warfare world. Mike, I, I have to say, not only as a friend, but, but as a podcast host, I'm so happy to have you on. Well, thanks, John. I appreciate you guys bringing me in. I, this is awesome. Uh, this is cool. We didn't have this when I was playing ball. It didn't exist. So it's, <laughs> yeah, it's cool. the internet didn't exist. So, Riga, we, we, we go back to Loose Hall. You, you and John were down there on, this, on the seamanship and navigation deck. Um, I was up there in, uh, in LEL and, uh, uh, at the end of my career. Um, so it's good to see you again from that point, like, like Scoff just said, you, you went off to, and had a great success, but let's go back to your football career at Navy as a mid, what comes to mind during that era of Navy football? Remind us who the coach was and, uh, and, and what, what the team was like in those, in those days. We had coach George Chomp. That was our head coach during a time frame that I was at the Academy and coach Chomp had just basically came in a year before when we were at NAPS. So it was a, uh, it was different. It was definitely different, especially looking at how the team is now versus how it was then. You know, we had more of a run and shoot type offense uh, prior to Coach Chump being there. We actually had an op- option offense. <clears throat> so all the kids that were recruited to play at play at the academy from Naps were pretty much option type oriented players. So coming in, you know, after being at Naps and expecting to be in an option type offense, and that's not the case. It took a real long time for everyone to get acclimated to, you know, to the new offense. So that was that was truly different. Uh, one of the other things, too, you guys probably don't know, but I was not recruited to play at, at the academy. I was actually supposed to go to the uh, go to the Coast Guard Academy, but that fell through. And I ended up, you know, coming to the academy and playing football. <clears throat> but I'll tell you, for all the guys who were recruited, I think that was a the biggest thing for them from that perspective, coming in and not having that type of offense that they were expecting to, to run. And the reason why I bring that up is because you could tell that, you know, as I watch the offenses now versus our offense back in the past, the, uh, the ability to hold the ball, time possession on the offense is really key to a school like ours because I played on the defensive side of the ball. And with the run and shoot, we were three and out all the time. So the amount of plays that we got from a defensive perspective was huge. So most of the times we were in the games for a lot of the games we played in while I was in, you know, at the academy up until about the fourth quarter or maybe, you know, mid-third quarter. And all of a sudden the defense was just gassed and the offense on the other teams would just take off and we would get beat, you know. So I think my last year at the academy, we were either four and seven or five and six. 
we had really good athletes. I mean, Javier Zuluaga, Jason Van Meter. I won't put myself in that mix. I was just out there playing. So we had the kids to compete. I just don't think we had the scheme to make it happen. So, you know, with the, the ball possession on the, you know, the offensive side of the house, as we have now, uh, to include the athletes that we have, and it's just awesome. I mean, it's awesome to see that they, you know, with the ball control, uh, stand on the field, the offense is really your best defense. You can see that, you know, now. And uh, that was not the case when I played. Uh, it was definitely not the case when I played. Rigo, who was, who was the best player um, you know, that you ever played against or that you ever had to, you know, as a DB? As a, um, yeah, it, it was the guy you had to line up against. That was, that the was a rocket. We, when I was a freshman, we played against Notre Dame. And uh, I didn't get to step on the field that much, but as a freshman, as you know, I made the varsity team as a freshman. Yeah, I've never, I've never seen anything like that in my life. I, I kid you not. I mean, we went against some good folks when I played ball my freshman year. Natron Means, out of North Carolina, but I tell you, the Rocket was—he was the Rocket. That <laughs> kid, I mean, he was—he was amazing. I mean, he was amazing. Amazing. And I had the opportunity to tackle Jerome Bettis. But uh, the rocket was – he was lights out. And Todd Light, Todd Light, the uh, safety, was bad, man. He, we did an onside kick, and he caught it in midair and ran it back for a touchdown. It was just like, oh, my gosh. So, we <laughs> some, you know, we played with some very, very good athletes when I was, you know, playing at, at the academy. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's what makes it, you know, unique. Well, I was going to ask you, I was looking at the uh, list of all-time Navy lettermen to check you out and uh, – it says you lettered as a plebe in 90, and the uh, captain that year, one of the co-captains was Alton Grizzard, who was a legendary figure in Navy football history, and obviously uh, his story is tragic as to what happened with him, and there's a lot of people who remember Alton Grizzard will never forget him. I know you only were with him one year as a plebe, but what can you remember about Alton Grizzard? Because, you know, he, he's a legendary figure in the history of Navy football. Yeah, Wags. I'm sorry. He was the other great player that I had the opportunity to play with. And, um, you know, Grizz was, Grizz was special. And I owe a lot to Grizz because, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm choking up a little bit here, but as a plebe, you know, if it wasn't for Grizz, I wouldn't have made the varsity team. I was on the scout team, <clears throat> excuse me, and I was just killing, I guess I was killing the offense. And, you know, he was first team and he's like, you know, hey, guys, you got to do better than this. Rigo's killing us. And I come to find out that the coaches went to Grizz and talked to him and Grizz talked to the coaches. He said, we got to find a place basically for Rick, Rigo to play. And it was special team. So he's like, we need this type of effort. We want to reward these kids are trying to make us better. And he was one of the guys that really was in my, you know, in my corner saying, hey, let's, let's get him on the field. So, but that was just how Grizz was. I mean, he was just, he was the best person to be around. He was one of the hardest workers that you would ever see. And he led by example. He didn't expect you to do anything that he wasn't doing. And I think that was probably, as a freshman, <clears throat> just being around him and seeing the way he interacted with people and just, uh, just being a up, you know, just an upstanding kind of person, sincere. I mean, he just knew everything. I mean, he would, you know, he'd come up to you and joke with you like, hey, Riga, I saw you doing X, Y, and Z. You're like, man, you saw that? He's like, yeah. You know, I'm like, why do you have time to, to see what a plebe is doing, right? But that's just the kind of person he was. He was just – he was awesome. Yeah, that was probably you – know, outside of the, the record we had my, our freshman year, uh, that was definitely the highlight of my time, getting an opportunity to play with Grizzard, you know, at the academy. Rigo, walk through exactly what your duties are now in, in the capacity as deputy AD on the military side. You're still wearing a uniform. You're in Navy 06. You've just come from what I would say is a, a major shore command uh, what what are your day to day duties, and then let's inject COVID into it. How, how has COVID kind of shaken up the entire athletic department, and how has it affected your life? Yeah, so the job I have right now, John, I'll be honest with you, it's whatever Chet wants me to do. <laughs> That's what it boils down to. Everybody's looking at me and they say, "What does Rigo do?" Because we don't know what <laughs> Tybo did either. And as you know, Lamont Gordon had a job before me. So to be honest, man, we have, I got notebooks all around me that I'm trying to learn my job and what my responsibilities are. But at the end of the day, it's liaison in between, you know, the superintendent staff and the commandant staff and just trying to make for sure that, you know, the athletes, all the athletes, not just the football team, that uh, someone's there to speak for them and, and make for sure that our best interests are also taken into account from a, 
a physical mission perspective, right? Because we lose that, we forget that the academy is all those things, right? Not just the academics. You know, you also have a physical mission as well. So my job is to ensure that uh, we do that. You asked about COVID-19 and what's going on. Matter of fact, Chet asked me to talk about that this morning. Long story short is we're like everyone else. There's nothing different for us as far as how we're mitigating these, you know, mitigating the situation and looking at it from a safety and health perspective. We're in the same, you know, same boat as everybody. I think the only different thing for us is that we're military. So, you know, people got, you have the state that's got there, you know, what you should do. You got the, you know, big government saying what you should do. And then you have the military saying what you should do. So for us, those are the things we have to take into account because we are our military school. So, Rigo, um, not to get ahead of chat because we don't want you to be in that position, but um, what are we thinking uh, is going to happen going into, uh, you know, what normally be conditioning in July and then beyond? What, what are we are we pressing on? I know Chet has been quoted by WAGs and others at the Capitol that, you know, hey, nothing's happening with the Notre Dame game. We're still planning on going to Ireland. Um, so where are we um, insofar as you can uh, answer that with any fidelity? Yeah, Ward, we, I mean, I'm, I'm with, the, with the administration here, you know, as far as NAAA is concerned. Our AD is very optimistic and he, he should be. You know, we have to plan as though things will, you know, they will happen, right? Because if we, if we fail to plan and, and we do have the opportunity, then we're in, we're in bad shape because we didn't do what we should have done. And that's planned for things to happen as they're supposed to happen. But that being said, <clears throat> with behind the scenes, you know, Chet is definitely doing all the contingency plans, right? He's saying, okay, if this doesn't happen, what do we do? You know, what are the backup plans? Um, you know, what other facilities could we potentially have a game if we're allowed to have a game? So he's walking through all those different scenarios to give us the best opportunity to, you know, eventually get back on the field. And so I'll, I'll tell you that I agree until that time frame comes to where there's no point of return, then we have to continue to look at, you know, going out and playing, you know, the game as, as scheduled. But uh, we have to be realistic too, because at the end of the day, it is about the, the, you know, the safety and the health of, of the midshipmen, right? So I, I would tell you that just watching Chet and as the AD, he would never put, you know, business before, you know, the safety of, of uh, any of the students at the academy because that's the only reason why he's been there that long. And the same thing with Coach Niamatololo. He'll tell you, you know, why are we thinking about playing, you know, football games when we still have people, you know, that, you know in a the situation they're in. But uh, that being said, everyone is planning you know, to, to be ready to go when it's time, when they say you can go. It's just going to be difficult, right? Because, you know, looking at what we don't know, you know, testing, you know, having all the, the gear to, you know, safely protect your folks and, and just so, so many unanswered questions. It, it makes it sort of tough to come up with those contingency plans and, and what you can do. But we're doing what most teams are doing, looking at the, uh, you know, how many people we can sit in the stadium if we go down to just 10% you know, all the other different measures that you take in place where you're not touching, you know, you know tickets and things like that, electronic tickets and, you know, just a whole lot of um, contingency plans to make sure that when we can play, we're ready to play. Well, Mike, I'll, I'll tell you as we wrap up here uh, on a personal level, um, I, I, it warmed my heart to see you come back into uh, to Ricketts Hall uh, and be involved in the Naval Academy, your alma mater. As we walk out of here, what would be the piece of advice you would give to any athlete, football player or otherwise, to arrive at the, the level of success you've reached? Well, thank you, John. I appreciate that. And thank you for all those kind, kind words. And I was reading something the other day, and Denzel Washington said, hard work works. Working hard is what successful people do, right? So I would tell you that that's what it boils down to. You know, if you're willing to work hard, success will follow. And we're seeing that on the last dance, right? It's one of the things I didn't know. You know, Michael Jordan was freaking working hard in practice, probably harder in practice than he was in the games. And he led by example, right? So, you know, if you're willing to do that, have integrity, I think people uh, see that and you will be successful, right? No matter what it is that you, you seek to do, right? Those are my last words. I know it's a lot, but. Perfectly said. Thank you for making time on a Friday night, late Friday night. 
uh, to record this. And, and I know I speak for the entirety of, of the pod here and, and everyone else at the Naval Academy. Stay healthy and let's navigate our way through this. Mike Riggins, everybody, um, Naval Academy graduate, football player, uh, Navy captain, and just an overall fantastic human being. Thank you for joining us. Go Navy. Be Thanks, Rigo. Ward, what did you think about uh, the conversations with uh, Kelly and Malcolm today? As you've stated during those conversations, they represent the best that the nation has to uh, offer. And, uh, you know, it sounds cliche to say the future is bright, but listening to both of them, I, I, I'm feeling good as an old guy that the future is bright, both in uniform in the, ter- in, in the case of Kelly uh, going to be a Naval Flight Officer, uh, and then Malcolm, as we stated, whatever he does in the NFL and then whatever he does as a Marine or whatever, you know, again, the Naval Academy's mission is to make great citizens, not just great naval officers, but great citizens. And there we got two great examples of articulate, motivated, even in the face of these challenges of COVID-19, motivated, upbeat Americans. It's just great. does my, my heart good. So uh, uh, very great to hear from them. And, uh, you know, I think this is a special podcast because of the alchemy that, that we're bringing to bear there. Um, and it's exactly what what your intent was, and and what what's going to make the Sing Seconds franchise, if you will, uh, distinct. And and our narrative is going to be a breakout in in terms of that. It's exciting, and and you know our our third guest today, uh, Rigo. I, I have no doubt that Kelly um, and, and Malcolm are are in a great spot to eventually, twenty five years down the road, be a Mike Riggins uh, giving back to the Naval Academy as an O six or or as, as someone of great repute. Uh, it, I, I thought a really good swath of what the Naval Academy represents. And, and for all of you listening out there, this is the entire intent of the pod to deliver to the staff, the faculty, the students, the alumni, um, that context and perspective from their fellow mids, from their fellow alumni about what their life has been like and what athletics has meant to them and, and their success stories. So we will be right back here next week so for our uh, producer, Chris Cervello, who mixed us perfectly, and Ward and Bill Wagner and our three guests tonight, we will see you next week. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.